I want to dedicate tonight's Torah to, to the memory of, of the great teacher, Thich Nhat Hanh, who passed away today. And for his impact on my life, I think it's pretty safe to say that I wouldn't be here today had I not met his writings and his students. I don't know if what I will say is something that he would agree with. I'm sure, nonetheless, he would, he would greet my words with appreciation and with great devotion. Each and every year on Shabbat of Parshat Yitro, of the portion that we are about to read tomorrow morning, sometimes known as Shabbat Matan Torah, the Shabbat in which we receive Torah at Sinai, the Torah brings us to the remarkable moment where slaves stood before a mountain and became a people with a transcendent mission and purpose. And each and every year, sometimes more than once, I admit it, I get stuck. I'm not taken by the events of Revelation as much as I am taken in by the events that precede Revelation, and maybe even the event that preceded that which preceded Revelation. The portion in which Torah itself is revealed builds slowly towards that moment of standing together at Sinai. We don't plunge right into chapter 19 with the lights and the synesthesia and the mountain on fire. No, we build slowly from chapter 18, where we're not introduced to Revelation, but reintroduced to Moshe's father-in-law. Moshe's father-in-law comes from afar, it seems, because he's heard about something remarkable that's taken place. And Jethro, the priest of Midian and the father-in-law of Moshe, heard all that had happened to the Israelites for God had taken them out of bondage. That moment, the meaning of the narrative and bringing Yitro into the story at this moment, it's remarkable because it says a lot about Yitro and it teaches us a lot about a character whom we probably should emulate. If we were to just focus on the character of Yitro, the father-in-law of Moshe, and his introduction or reintroduction here in the narrative of the Israelites' march to freedom, we might actually have a powerful paradigm for emulation. Moshe's father-in-law, some see him as the perfect journey person, moved by the news of what took place to the Israelites. He is neither Jew, neither not Jew. He finds himself impacted and he comes like a student who ever wants to learn from a great teacher. Yitro becomes the model of someone who is moved, someone who listened and was impacted and made a change. One of the commentators say, this entire piece is to teach us the power of the hungry seeker, who upon hearing the truth is willing, like the Buddha, 
or like Moshe, to leave privilege and power to make the journey necessary to be illuminated. In this model of Yitro's reason for being here before Torah, Yitro becomes the paragon and paradigm of the one who is prepared to receive Torah. Be hungry like Yitro. Be thirsty. Be a seeker. Be one who can learn Torah and is willing to be moved by it. I know in some ways Yitro's arrival on a much less majestic or religious level is just a remarkable parenthesis and a remarkable kind of interruption in the narrative to give us an insight into Moshe too. The kind of teacher that Yitro was to Moshe. After all, in a number of verses, after having been welcomed by the Israelites, Yitro will actually find himself comfortable enough to actually tell his very famous and very powerful son-in-law exactly how he should be running his business. Jethro will tell him in verses that are included for posterity by the authors or by God in our Torah, the Torah that precedes Sinai given to Moses is the Torah of his father-in-law, the Torah of our parents, the Torah of our loved ones, I couldn't help but think about Jethro's model today as I sat and listened to Brother Richard talking about Irving and about the ways in which his life was shaped and formed by his own father. Couldn't help but think today as I watched with a grin and with a tear, more than one, streaming down my face as I listened to Juliet talk about her father, a remarkable tzaddik, a remarkable loving father, Think about my own father-in-law who's here, and I wasn't paid to say this, how lucky I am to have you in my life as a teacher and as a confidant and as an advisor and a friend. Couldn't help but thinking about the Torah of our parents, the Torah that we receive from ones whom we trust, how that precedes Torah in a certain way in the narrative. It gives me another interpretation of the famous rabbinic quip the way of the land, meaning common sense, good being good nature, being good, is proceeding both in prioritization and in temporal chronology, the receiving of Torah. Here you have it. Jethro is that guy. He's moved. He gives advice in a way that his son-in-law can hear it. That's not easy, right? I'm thinking more broadly, though, today, in light of last week's events about what Jethro's narrative means for all of us today. In order to understand it, we have to go to where I said the proceeding of the proceeding, where we left off last week before Jethro arrived. See, folks, in last week's Torah portion, the end of leaving Egypt with the Egyptians having drowned in the sea, the Israelites breathe a sigh of relief. They have enough strength to begin complaining. And so they begin their sojourn towards Sinai. But the story last week leaves us with a very terrifying narrative. The Israelites, fresh from running from their enemies, are attacked yet again by a group called the Amalekites. The Torah describes a vulnerable Israelite nation 
newly freed, perhaps breathing fully, perhaps allowing themselves to feel the safety and the security of having left the horrors of Egypt behind, and then Amalek. Vayavo Amalek. The reborn Israelites must have thought to themselves, no matter where we go, someone will attack us. If we let our guard down, we will be burned. Is it me, they must have wondered? Is it us? What's happening here? Did we create the Amalekites with our own imagination? Did we project them? Should we be doing more therapy as a nation? Is there blame to be had? This event is what immediately precedes the arrival of Jethro, the priest of Midian. We arrive before Sinai, before we receive revelation to meet the one who is not like the others. We meet the one who comes with a genuine curiosity to be a part of our story, who takes part in the sympathetic joy of the other as Israelites. Yitro, as Moshe's father-in-law, participates in the Jewish narrative. He honors our particular pains and revels in our revelations. He's a good man, says the Torah, a holy man. And yes, he isn't an Israelite, but he's also not an Amalekite. You are about to receive Torah from God on a mountain but you can also receive Torah and maybe have to receive Torah from this man who stands before you with his love. He might trigger in you Amalekite memories, but he isn't them and he isn't that. Perhaps Yitro's placement here sandwiched between an attack on our particularity and a revelation and sanctification of it is strategically placed as a reminder to all of us. There are a lot of Amalekites, unfortunately, but there are also a lot of Yitros. Learn Torah from them, from Tiknan Han, from neighbors, from imams and sheikhs and priests and atheists and agnostics and people of every walk of life. They've come to teach you Torah. Learn from them and never stop listening for them. Lest you think though that at this moment that that is the only lesson I think Yitro's strategic placement gives us, I'd like to offer this one. Perhaps Yitro was placed here for an entirely different reason. Perhaps Yitro was the standard bearer of all future allies of the Jewish people. Perhaps Yitro raised the bar on what we as a people should expect from those who come and say, we are your supporters. Maybe Yitro raised the bar and invited all of us to demand that in the wake of tragedy and difficulty, in the wake of yet again another attack on the sovereignty of our right to religious freedom and religious expression. Maybe Yitro comes this week and every week before Revelation to say, don't forget you are the ones who stood at Sinai, 
You are the ones who have fought and have walked and have protested. You are the ones who have given of your universal vision to the world, and you are the ones who deserve a particular support at this moment. You deserve for me to be there for you and with you. I know I am not alone in feeling both the power of having had allies reach out to me and to Romanmu people over the past week to say, we are with you. And I'm also not alone in the disappointment I've had this week. And those for whom last Saturday's headlines were not sufficient news to think of rabbis and Jews who would have to yet again show up in synagogue this week knowing that it's never assured. Maybe Yitro comes to raise the bar for all of you here to say, we deserve Jethro's. We deserve to have that presence in our lives. That is the standard by which we should be judging our allies. I feel like I'm holding all of those here tonight, all of those Jethro's mixing together with me, the beauty of, of fathers and parents and teachers whose modeling of life blessed us, the beauty of others and strangers whose Torah has illuminated my path and without which I would not be here tonight, the beauty of the ability to see the one before us, not as those, but as this one, this one, and the empowerment and the obligation that I feel all of us have as Jews to demand more of a world that somehow seems to allow anti-Semitism and Jew hatred to recede each and every time, only to rear its head again. May God bless us with the powerful lessons of Jethro, of Yitro, and may his Torah and his legacy be one that we walk with now and every day. Please rise if you are able for the Aleinu.